0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey, guys. So today's episode is brought to you by Sengcaster, And I remember back in the day where I was looking at putting together Sengcaster. I was looking for a solution that would really help me in putting things together. And essentially, this is what allowed me to bring deal makers to life. I mean, basically, Sendcaster, what it is, is an all-in-one solution where you just send the link to the person that you're looking to interview. Essentially, they would plug in their computer with their video, with the audio, and then basically you are good to go. You would just piece everything together, give it to your audio engineer, or even edit it yourself, and you are off to the races. Now. If you're looking at getting into podcasting, you should definitely check Sendcaster out. And you could also get a 30% discount. And this is a discount code that you will be able to redeem by going into SEN, and that is CSNCBRAEN dotai forward slash deal makers. And then number zero. And lastly, you know, I was very much blown away when I found out that investing in wine has been one of the best-kept secrets amongst the ultra-wealthy. And this is now not the case anymore. You know, I came across this solution, which is called VinoVest, and they are a great, great solution that allows you to diversify investing by implementing or including wines into your portfolio. I mean, take a look at this. Wine has one-third of the volatility of the stock market and yet it has outperformed the global equities market over the past 30 years with 10.6% annualized revenues. So it's a really good way to diversify your portfolio, and you could also get two months of free investing by just going into the CEN, and that is CSN Zebra, E-N.ai, Forward slash deal makers, and by just going there, you will be able to redeem your discount. All righty, hello everyone, and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So, I'm excited about our guest today. You know, it's a very, very interesting how we're going to be talking about different events uh, that really shape him, who he is, and how he's tackling things, you know, growing up in school. Uh, but great entrepreneur, building, scaling, financing—you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Mike Cataldo. Welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks, Alejandro. It's great to be here.
0: So originally born there in Massachusetts, in Worcester. So how was life
1: growing up there? Uh, Worcester, as as we say, Worcester Mass with the proper accent. Uh, it was it was great. I mean, Worcester is an old industrial town. It's it saw its peak in World War Two and was was on a, a steady slight downhill slide ever since then, which which meant that it was a a, ta, a city a big city, good sized city with with old time, old time values, and I I thought it was a great place to grow up. Quite frank.
0: Very cool. I mean, obviously for you, the competition started very very early on with all your siblings.
1: That's right. So I'm one of seven kids. Uh, we were all uh duke you all close together my my mother had seven kids in 11 years and uh my dad was a surgeon and i would say it's it's safe to to say that we spent a lot of time uh competing with each other to get our parents limited attention and uh boy that'll give you some drive that'll show up later on in your life i think
0: yeah no kidding well i guess that thing polished to your way of thinking on on trying new things until something sticks, which that actually happened when it came to sports. So tell us what was your lesson there.
1: That That's true. So um, when it came to sports, uh, like a lot of kids, I tried out for whatever team was in front of me. The difference between me and a lot of kids is I literally got cut from every team I ever tried out for until I was a junior in high school. I, and I mean, it, I tried out for everything, name a sport, if, if my school had it, I tried it, I get cut from it um, until uh, I was a junior in high school. And uh, my high school had a rowing team. And I remember not wanting to try out for the rowing team because the rowers had to run to train. I hated running, hated running. It's probably because I got cut from so many sports that require you to run. But um, finally, a friend of my brother's who was on the team convinced me to try out for rowing, and I did. And I'll never forget the day on Lake Quinsigamond in Worcester, uh, the coach pulling up to the rowing shell I was in, and I was wearing a football jersey from my high school. Of course, I'd tried out for football and got cut. That's where the jersey came from. And he said to me, Cataldo, you're not going to try out for football again. And I looked at him and I said, why, coach, am I good at this? And he just turned his launch and drove away. So I, f- I figured... I was good. As it turned out I was pretty good at rowing. I ended up, even though I started late, I got recruited by a bunch of colleges and um, it helped me get into Columbia University. And And I continued rowing there. And there's there's more stories but about rowing. But the, the point to your point is that um, I think that, you know, try just keep trying. If you hit a dead end, turn around, try something else, hit a dead end, turn around, try something else. I still do that to this day in uh, my work life and personal life. And um, it's, it's just a way of being, and it's served me quite well.
0: And definitely the way of being an entrepreneur, you know, those that they give up don't do so because they don't know how close they are to, uh, to making it happen. So, uh, so Mike, in your case, also uh, rowing allowed you to travel the world and get a little bit of a perspective outside of the U.S.
1: A little bit. That's right. So, somewhere in the middle of my time at Columbia university, my coach walked up to me and he said, Mike, you should try out for this national team. I thought he was crazy. I, I'm like, what are you talking about? Those are real rowers coach. And, uh, which also speaks to something that, you know, even when I did succeed still to this day, when I do succeed, I never quite believe it. I never quite believe it. But I said, okay, I'll go try out and try tried out for this team. And, um, a buddy of mine and I from Columbia and, uh, Lo and behold, we ended up making the team. I still couldn't believe that uh go to race in Europe at the the Henley regatta. anybody knows anything about rowing is the Henley regatta is like there's three royal events sporting events in in England the the uh, Wimbledon uh Ascot, and of course the Henley regatta and we ended up winning the Henley Regatta. I go to gold medal from Princess Grace of Monaco. It's hanging in the wall in the office that I'm interviewing from right now um still don't believe it uh, honest to god, but um. Yeah, so we did that and raced elsewhere in Europe, won some races in, you know, Switzerland and Germany and ended up going to win the Pan Am, Pan Am Games a couple of years later in Venezuela. And um, again, though, it was, uh, it's that drive. And, and I think it's a combination of trying different things. Uh, I, I remember in rowing specifically, I was very good at listening to the coach. So I'd listen to whatever he said. And, and in fact, uh, what I would do is they have these indoor rowing tanks. And we this one year we trained at Harvard uh, and they had these great indoor tanks. And we get a break in the day between workouts. And I would go into the tanks and row by myself, watching the videos that they showed us of how to do it right. Then I'd go into the tanks and I could see myself in the mirror and I'd practice and practice and practice and practice till it looked in the mirror uh, like it looked in the video. And I think that was instrumental in me making that team to tell you the truth. So that there's a combination of perseverance and just plain. You know, doing your homework, understanding how things work, how does that stroke really work, and then uh, learning how to do it. Uh, So there's, it's not just perseverance, it's not just different pathways, it's also doing the homework, doing the work to understand how to do it right, so that you can do it right. And and then you got to remember, you really never know, you've got to keep learning. And that's another key piece, I think, to being a successful entrepreneur.
0: I love it. I love it. Now, in this case for you, as they say, ideas, you know, they, they take time to incubate. You know, they are kind of like dormant there. Uh, and then eventually, you know, like we decide that it makes sense or not to do something with them. And, and in many instances, there's triggering events. But in your case, your first company, you know, it was an idea that, that took quite some time to to really bring to life. So, so tell us about what was that process like?
1: Yeah. So my career, um, up until Convergent Dental, was mostly uh, medical software, healthcare software. And I was working for a company in the late 80s that uh, connected doctors to hospitals via dial-up modems. You know, kids, today don't even know what that sounds like. I can still hear that connection sound. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, yeah. And the idea was to create a path of least resistance for doctors to refer their patients to hospitals where they get better information. And I thought to myself, well, that that's interesting, but what if we could do that between patients and doctors? And of course, in the 80s, there was no internet. There was people barely had computers in their homes. Um, but then in the uh, late 90s, the, the internet, you know, well, it wasn't late 90s, but it, when the, the idea came back to me in the late 90s, that wait, with the internet now, that connectivity between doctors and patients is possible. And even then, we were still dealing with how many people had computers at home. It was 1997. Um, But I came up with this idea that by just tapping into information, there's already, this associated with every medical visit and every bill. You know, every visit has a visit type. Every bill has a diagnosis code, a procedure code. Every patient has a gender and a date of birth. Based on just those things, you could actually, we figured out how to dynamically create a personalized health home care page for every individual patient as soon as they logged on to this patient portal which wasn't even known as a patient portal back then we could do this we figured out a way to to do this and then patients could request appointments prescription renewals all this stuff online we took an old idea that wasn't plausible because the 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 vehicle wasn't in, it, of connectivity wasn't in place and it, it came into my head in 1997 um, I grabbed a guy who's working for me at the time at, at a, another healthcare software company. And I said, what do you think? Do you think we could make this work? And we did. And in, uh, it took us seven months to launch the first product and get our first customer. And from there, uh, we built and patented the first patient portal ever and um, ended up selling that company to McKesson Corporation in 2000 uh, as the internet uh crash was happening uh and and they stuck with us and we stuck through them through the whole uh internet crash and um the patient portal was born Uh, and subsequently there was a actually a lawsuit over the patent um there are other companies that were trying it and i'm actually glad that they decided to drop the case because now of course patients have access to their doctors everywhere but um yeah, ninety-seven. First patient portal ever. That was that was That's my amazing. my first startup business from scratch. And
0: what what was that uh, going through that cycle? I mean, did did you guys raise any money for this company for Medivation?
1: We, well, we did. So it was we did we raised um, a little angel money to start. We actually never officially I can't say officially took venture money. So when we got the offer from McKesson Corporation um, to buy the company, we were running on fumes at that point, and we took a little investment from a couple of venture firms, great guys. A couple of venture firms. Uh, and they were in it for a few months. And, you know, they helped us over a hump, uh, and they get something good out of it. And as did all the employees. By the way, I made sure every employee had stock in the company, uh, substantially. And, you know, substantial stock. We weren't I wasn't skimpy about it. That was a that was a promise I made to myself. I'd never, you know, chintz on stock. Everybody helped us build it. Everybody benefited. So yep, we took some venture money. Um we it turned it over pretty quickly, and it worked out well for everybody in the team. I was very and, proud of that
0: and what was the process like of uh going through an acquisition because I mean, I think that for you, this was the first time you know really going through a process like that and and I'm sure it was not easy, so how was that process like?
1: you know this is old <laughs> I don't know if this will make sense to people listening, but I remember it makes me think of this old cartoon I forget you know some cartoon from the seventies or eighties some some character gets. Like a cat gets dragged through a knothole in a piece of wood. (laughs) So it felt like getting drugged through a knothole. That well, that's what it feels like. You've got it was, I mean, you've got this gigantic corporation. I had a total of 30 people in my company. It was nonstop due diligence, just a million questions, going through spreadsheets, asking questions, looking at financials. It was all a blur. And it was it was a lot of work and it, it points. I do remember a point saying to them, um, you know, we're not, this is not, you guys, you gotta act like we're in the same family cause this is not good. And uh, it was tough, but you know what they did? They came around, they said, got it. And we said, we'll just work on this stuff together. We got through it together and, you know, it took us four months of nonstop uh, work to close the deal, but we did it.
0: First company, you know, first exit. So not bad at all. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. You were 39, so I'm sure, yeah. you know, you had some time to take off, to, to reflect, and, and then also to, to realize that retiring was not uh, in the books. So what happened there?
1: That's right. So, you know, I, I thought it would be cool to retire, so I did that for a while it wasn't that cool quite frankly so after a while, i did some consulting I you know but I, eventually i went to an invest a venture fund that i'm an investor in and asked them if you know to to keep a, you know keep me in mind if anybody came along with an idea that needed a ceo and sure enough about oh god I was 2011 10 2010 um a guy came to them with an idea for a dental laser that would cut teeth that would do fillings uh, with no anesthesia, no drill, and he wasn't really fundable. he was a science guy, not a business guy and they said, "Check this out so i did I met with him a lot I did a lot of due diligence uh you know there's a lot of science behind it that said this wavelength of light, this laser could either be used to treat cavities without a drill or could actually prevent cavities by uh altering the the uh, literally the molecular structure of enamel making it making it harder taking a weak link out of the chain and allowing to absorb more fluoride resist cavities better and we picked um treat cavities because when people think of you know when you think about what comes to mind when it's going to the dentist people don't think about the fluoride treatment they got and how that went they think about fillings they think about drills they think about needles they think about pain and dentists really don't even hurt people but They do give them shots and they do use loud, loud drills. And um, it occurred to us that that was the first problem to solve. And so uh, we funded the company in 2011, and that was venture and angel money. And 18 months later, uh, we had our first product and we had our FDA approval We had the product in the market. It's pretty amazing.
0: So then in this case, how do you guys go about capitalizing the business?
1: Well, you know, we, we just completed our Series C round. Um, which with the first two rounds really were primarily individuals. The venture fund that introduced me to the co-founder, they were the only venture fund in until Series C. We just did Series C with our first um, new venture fund. Other than that, it was just very you know wealthy family offices, which were kind of like venture funds, but not. Venture funds are different. So, yeah, we've raised about $80 million so far. The vast majority has been from individuals.
0: Very nice. And uh, right now, how many, how many people do you guys have on the
1: team? Uh, just about 100.
0: And when it comes down to having the right type of um, individuals, to hiring and retaining, how do you guys go about that?
1: You know, that is a bigger question uh, than you think, and I'm really glad you asked it. There's a process to it. So the answer to your question is the first thing we screen for is teamwork. And that's a pretty recent development. Uh, it's not skill, it's not tenure, it's teamwork, which is a more direct way of saying cultural fit. Uh, I I remember early, early on, I mean, Medivation never got to the size, we got to 30 people we were acquired, it started to feel like a real company, but it never quite, it was gone before we had any kind of big company issue. Well... I remember people telling me, boy, when you get to 10 people, it'll feel different. When you get to 20, it'll feel different. Well, we got to about 80 people and it started to feel different. And I didn't actually know how to describe what that felt like. It was just different and it wasn't as good. It, in retrospect, what it felt like is, you know, back to rowing. In early days, it just felt like no matter what we did, everybody was rowing together. We had a feel for we, what each other individual is doing. And we had each other's backs. We worked hard to make sure that everybody was successful. And then we got to about eighty people and it started to change. We had half of our employees were in the field. I wondered if that was the problem. But it was it was actually frustrating because things started to slow down. We weren't we had some challenges in sales, we had some challenges in in product quality and, and engineering and manufacturing throughput. One day, uh, you know, working with a uh, an outside company, actually by the name of Nova um, Consulting, these guys are great. Uh, a guy named Steve he's is the heads up the firm. He's my executive coach, and he's a, a, a leadership guru, thought leader. He and I started to tackle this problem together, and we start to define what teamwork really is. And I developed a, a document called the Tenets, T-E-N-E-T-S, Tenets of Teamwork. And they're basically a, a, a set of rules and instructions on how to work as a team, which, you know, everybody says, I'm a team player, I'm a team player, but we know that not everybody's a team player. So it's one of those things that everybody says they are, but nobody admits they're not. So right. uh, how do you line up around that? And the tenants are a, fa- a fancy way of saying you prioritize the team over the individual. It doesn't mean we don't pursue our individual goals. We, don't pers- we, we do pursue our individual goals. We try to be as great as we can be as in- individuals. But at the end of the day, that's to help the overall team win. Uh, we had some people in the company who had that backwards. And it's hard to imagine. It's like, wait, how can that be? I mean, we're all in the same company. You want to sell lasers. You want everybody to win. And it came to me, came very clear to me one day when I was interviewing a guy for a position in the company. He was talking about a company he used to work at, and he was a program manager. And he was, he was working with a new uh, head, of, head of product development, engineering product development. And he told the story uh, how this guy said, um, yeah, we're doing great here. We've got this new product. We've been working on it for X amount of time. We're going to roll it out the door on time, on budget. He was very proud of that on time, on budget. And then he just happened to casually mention, but when it gets to the market, it's going to fail. And the guy I was interviewing said, what? It's going to fail. How do you know? He goes, well, we're connected. We know what the customers say. We know what other people say. This thing's not going to work. When it gets to the market, on time, on budget, it's going to be a total market failure. Well, did you talk to the marketing guys about that? He said, no. Did you talk to your boss about that? No. No. Well, why didn't you talk to those people? Look, my job is to get the product out the door on time, on budget. That's how I get my bonus. If I talk to those guys, it's going to slow things down. I might not get my bonus. That's not my problem. Amazing. Right. So he went and talked to the guy's boss. The guy's boss said, That's right. We don't want to talk to marketing about this. Right. It'll affect our bonuses. They all think they're team players. But none of them were team players because real team players would say the success of the product in the field is what the whole company benefits from. If I have to risk my individual ch- paycheck to make that happen long term, that's what I'll do. And that's what the tenets of, te- of teamwork are about. We created that structure. We, they're, you know, they're pretty straightforward. Um, they are uh, control all you can and should. Everything you can do to be successful, your pathways I talked about before, multiple pathways, control all you can and should, and the sh- and should part is there's certain things you, you shouldn't do, like go do other people's jobs and stuff like that, but explore all pathways. Number two, have your teammates back at all costs. You have your teammates back, which includes the hardest thing, which is calling them out. When you see them doing something wrong or think they're doing something wrong, you just ask them about it. Hey, teammate, it looks like this to me. Is this what's going on? And if If it is going on and they aren't willing to raise their hand and say, yeah, I'll fix it, then you have to escalate. You do run it up the flagpole. Hey, boss, this isn't going to work. And you go with your teammate and you can argue over it, but you have to do it. That's how you have your teammates back. Um, The the next one uh, after, uh, and there's other aspects to have your teammates back, uh, but I think you get the point on that one. Uh, The next one after that one is call out your own failures. You make a mistake, call it out before anybody else does. And why, why all these things? Because they build trust. Ultimately, it's about trust. If you don't prioritize the team over yourself, sooner or later, somebody won't trust you, the team falls apart. And the last one is celebrate your successes. Those are the four tenants. So that's our framework. And I'll tell you back to interviewing and hiring the right people. We actually run the people through this when they interview. I walk them through it as the CEO of the company. And I say, Look, if this isn't who you are, if you aren't willing to have your teammates back, if you aren't willing to admit your failures, if you aren't willing to explore multiple pathways, don't take a job if we offer it, because you'll lose it within six months. That's a guarantee. Don't take it. And I've had employees who worked at the company self-select out once we published the tenants of teamwork. I've had prospective employees say, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And do you know what? What's interesting, Alejandro, is when people selected out, their teams went faster. They went faster without their boss or their teammate when those people aren't team players. You're better with less people on the team working together than you are with one person working against. So that's literally the biggest career lesson I've ever had. Almost 60 years old when I figured this out, it was the tenets of teamwork. And I learned it the hard way. I had a handful of people in the company who uh, were working against the team and they damn near killed us. And now they're out. And we're flying. I know it's a long answer to your question, but it's a really important one. I'm very proud of it. It's everything from how we manage now to how we hire uh, and, and, and more.
0: So now, 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 let's say, you know, we're thinking about the future here. And imagine you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision and mission of Convergente uh, Dental is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: When you say that, you mean we have a Soleil in every dentist's office? What is that
0: incredible, like, like world where everything, you know, finally came to fruition and is fully crystallized that you guys had
1: hoped for? So, well, first of all, that'll take a long time, Alejandro, because one of the (laughs) things about lasers and wavelengths of light is once you figure out how to use it for a particular thing, you can refine for years and years and years and years around that. So for me, at Convergent Dental, we did solve the problem of anesthesia-free, drill-free fillings. Uh, we've also solved the problem of uh scalpeless bloodless sutureless uh painless anesthesia free gum surgeries we recently came up with a non surgical cure for snoring uh, later this year we'll roll out uh, that cavity prevention treatment i talked about earlier we we will we will uh wa- have a product a way of wave delivering a wave laser wavelength that prevents teeth from demineralizing and demineral and, and and that that is what prevents cavities so de- preventive demineralization is the technical term that'll be a thing it'll come out this year uh, beyond that there's applications for treating uh, doing root canals with lasers periodontal disease with lasers potentially whitening desensitizing teeth so the vision realized is to create the platform and the standard of care, and then just keep adding value for our customers and their patients. So I think that will take me to the point where I just, you know, uh, if I'm innovating, it won't be at work anymore. I'll be retired.
0: Now, now, you know, looking back and, and it's been an incredible journey, you know, for you guys, and I'm sure that a lot of lessons learned, a lot of um, reflection now and uh, And I guess, you know, the question here that comes up is, what would you say has been your biggest mistake and what did you learn out of it?
1: My biggest mistake? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I alluded to that earlier. So never in my career until a few years ago did I hire anybody who worked against me. And that's that's where the tennis teamwork were born. So I, I talked about how it started to feel different. And I had a few folks that I remember in the interview process now. They had a lot of skills. They had a lot of positives. They had a lot of great experiences. But in the interview process, there was something that I felt I could teach them. And what it was, was I, and like I could show them a better way. Almost I could show them a better life. Um, come here. We'll show you how to work as a team player. And it wasn't articulated as such. It was just this, when they talked about their former environments, I could hear that we, we could do it better for them. That was a huge mistake. You, you can't fix people. It just doesn't happen. I mean, maybe early in their careers and that sort of thing, but people tend to either be team players or not. And uh, my mistake was thinking I could take their great talent and teach them how to leverage as part of a larger team. It turned out that they just weren't interested. They were much more interested in managing more of the company. I mean, that's a dead giveaway. Somebody comes in a few months later to say, look, if you give me this responsibility, I can do more. Or they say another dead giveaway is they compare themselves to other people. Well, you know, so and so is doing such and such, and I'm doing this, so therefore I should get more. Whether it's money or responsibility, that's really bad. It's really bad. Because when you hear the way I said that, that's them talking about them. Now, if those if people came to me and said, look, hey, teammate, Here's what I'm observing. As I look out there, I see a challenge for the company. I think I could help. Here's how I can help the larger team. It's a similar concept, but it's a whole different perspective. It's a team perspective. So I hired a few people who were more, you know, I can do better than the other guy. Why am I getting as much as the other guy, et cetera, et cetera. Me, me, me. Disastrous. The other thing I learned is you can hear it in interviews. When people talk about their past and they say, "I did this, and I did that," that's one type of person. And they say, "Well, on my team, we did this, and we accomplished that, and we figured that out. Now you're talking to somebody who thinks about the larger team. So the mistake was not not hearing those verbal cues uh, and letting people in the company that really were poisonous to the culture because they they hire people like them and and they wreck people who aren't like them because they break trust at the end of the day, which then makes people who used to trust, trust less. It's like cancer. It spreads. It's terrible. And we had to let a lot of people go uh, to, 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 to get to the point where we are today, where it really feels like a team. So, so that was the big mistake and the benefit of the cure is it just feels different. When I talk about trust, in other words, it goes with trust is safety. Convergent dental is a safe environment. It's safe in a lot of ways, but safe like you can speak up and you won't be judged. If I say anything, anything in any meeting I'm in, I, I, I at some point I say, remember, this is a no judgment zone. Nobody's allowed to judge anybody. Get your thoughts on the table. If they are criticisms of other people or new ideas that you have, you cannot be judged. Because if somebody judges you, they're going to get called out for their behavior and their teammates. They'll fix it. So just trust. It's a safe environment. Speak up. You hear so much more and you get so many good ideas. You get so many more potential pathways and so much more buy-in to what you're doing. It makes work fun and productive. It really is. So It was a horrible mistake, but it f- from which uh you know a, a way of building culture was born that i i never understood before
0: i love it well hey you know we we definitely learned quite a bit you know today during our show on this episode on on team team building and and also how to make sure that you have the right people that are rowing you know in the in the same in the same direction so so mike for the people that are listening uh, today and watching what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi
1: Well, um, you can feel free to just send me an email. Uh, My uh, name is Mike Cataldo, but my email is mcataldo, that's M-C-A-T-A-L-D-O, at convergentdental.com. I won't spell convergent dental out, but you can also Google Convergent Dental. You can Google the product Solea. Uh, You'll find our website. And if you really want to get a hold of me, it's just not that hard.
0: Amazing. Well, hey, Mike, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today.